It's Monday, April 18th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news on all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Campbell, and Aaron Bewley. It's episode 250! How are we feeling, team? How are we feeling, team? I feel pretty good about it. I don't have my laptop yet, though. Number. still sad. You don't have a laptop or you don't have a specific laptop? Well, I mean, if we're getting specific, I have several laptops. I don't have the one that I'm waiting on yet because I'm still waiting. Uh, um, so okay. it's, it's you know, we've got 250 episodes of TBP, but we don't have my Alienware X15 R2. There mm. it is. I was so, going to ask. I didn't have to. That's the one. We're, uh, we're hoping that it works. I've been seeing, been seeing some reports on, uh, on Reddit that uh, maybe it's not cooling things that well. Right, right. Uh, which is concerning, is that concerning I, I'm for the cooling system. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> what are you, you going to do? Uh, <laughs> those darn physics and thermodynamics and all that crap. It turns out is they there actually are laws that need to be followed. Followed, uh, yeah, you like it or not, they're not, they're not just guidelines, which yeah. is sort of they're the not, one I was. Hoping they're not for. the kind that you can just ignore. The uh, the half inch thick gaming laptop seems to have a difficulty moving air. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, we'll, we'll see what it gets here. I'll do extensive testing and uh, you know try and work my magic on on limiting some things to to bring those Just down. But drill yeah, holes in rough. as soon as you get it. <laughs> Just, Just straight through it. Just no, turn it over and just fans. take like a hammer drill to it. And I mean, those vent holes are guaranteed to help with airflow. I that, absolutely. It's 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 sound logic. Can't argue with know? that. I might just take the uh, the outer chassis completely off, like just completely expose uh, <laughs> ah, the motherboard and like all a, of the heat pipes, like a like a naked bike or something, right? Like yeah, sport bikes I mean, don't have any. It's like body work like on the uh, like the supercomputer that the guy builds in um, is it Pi? It's Pi, right? Hmm. Uh, I had Pi yesterday. He, was that like a movie? Mm, or what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the name of it. Now, now I'm doubting myself. Uh, maybe it wasn't. No, maybe I'm confusing that with like the Life of Pi. I don't. I don't think so though. I think it's actually that was Pi. a good movie. Um, Life of mm, Pi. It was. It was good. It was. Dude, I referenced. I wanna, uh, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was called Pi, and and the uh, it, like the guy, he builds a computer that's just like hanging from his ceiling, and uh, the the computer actually starts predicting the the future, I believe, but it drives him crazy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I have not seen this. 1998, but it is real. I looked it up on IMDb. A paranoid yeah. mathematician searches for a yes. key number that will unlock the universal patterns found in nature. Yeah, it's, it's a, a good movie. White, uh, why is it a black and white film in 1998? Was it black? This film looks like it was made like in it. the 40s or something. I feel like there's a color version. Maybe there's a remake, and it's not just called Pie. The, but this, that, I mean, this this looks like it's it. He's just he's brilliant. Uh, you know, he does cool number things, and and I don't know. The movie's Weird. really good. I highly suggest it. Well, if it worked okay. for him, it can work for me. All right, darn right. So. Taking it apart, oh, it, it'll just make it thinner and lighter, you know. So, boom, make it work. This day so that, in tech that's history, that's definitely it. I didn't remember it being black and white, but that is one hundred percent the movie I was talking about. Mm. Isn't yeah. that weird? Did you just imagine color in it or something? 
I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's been a very long time since I saw it, but sure. This day in tech history. Four years. At least 24 years. Uh, or actually, at most 24 years, sorry. Uh, April 18th, <laughs> you guessed the year. The Osborne Computer Corporation. I'm pretty sure we did this one last year. Maybe the year before. How long have we been doing this? I guess since 2020. The Osborne Computer Corporation. <laughs> at least 250 episodes. <laughs> officially announced the Osborne Executive Portable Computer, the follow-up to its extremely successful Osborne 1 which I guess everyone remembers. I don't know. It was extremely <laughs> successful. This is the computer that, according to lore, took down the company known as the Osborne Effect. The legend is that by leaking the announcement of this computer earlier in the year, dealers canceled all orders for the Osborne 1, effectively oh, no. destroying the company's cash flow and hindering operations Whoa. going forward. This resulted oh. in the cancellation of the company's <clears throat> IPO and eventually to bankruptcy. Dang. Ooh. Man, if we the covered Osborne that last effect. year, I don't remember it because I don't remember just, it either. That hurts, man. That's smart yeah. right there. Um, it, it, is this the precursor to like Oscorp from Spider Man? Like there was the <laughs> bad guy. Like that is, it almost seems like that's where the inspiration. Cool from. if yes. Um, I, I don't. I don't even know when to guess. I'm yeah. gonna say. I'm gonna say 1991, the fall of the Soviet Union. I'm going to align with the fall of. Oscorp or whatever we're calling Os- Oscorp <laughs> personal Osborne computer? computer corporation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the first one was amazing. Is this I now I'm I'm like in my head trying to figure out if this is like pre Mac and pre Windows kind of picking up or or if it was after that and they made waves and then died in a fire. Uh, I'm gonna go with seventy eight because why not. Mm, 1983. Oh, come on. That's the right year. What, 1983 <laughs> well, is the right year? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's reading it, so I hope. I feel like oh, I should know you. Okay. <laughs> okay. That makes more sense. That was such a, uh, a strange go, go comment, that even was, for yes. us. I, <laughs> I can't believe, Russ, that you didn't guess <laughs> the 80s when you had no idea. Uh, or, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I feel I just, like. 91 came to my head. My third grade teacher, Miss Shackelford, told me anytime the, the, whenever you're taking a test, if you don't know, the first one that comes to your head is the one that you should pick. 1991 <laughs> came to my head. So I'm just following the logic that my third grade teacher gave me back then. Shout out to Dude, Miss Shackelford. So there's great. other examples of the Osborne effect. In 1978, North Star Computers announced a new version of its floppy disk controller with double the capacity which was to be sold at the same price as their existing range. Oh, get sales, out. Sales of the Whoops. existing products plummeted, obviously. Shocker. The company almost went bankrupt, and then it folded in 1984. Man. There's so many examples of these. Here's another one. When Sega began publicly discussing their next-gen system, eventually released as the Dreamcast, barely two years after launching the Saturn. Oh, do you remember the Sega Saturn? It became ah, a self-defeating ew. prophecy. At the time, Sega had a history of short-lived consoles, particularly the Sega Mega CD and 32X. Dude, I actually remember the 32X, which were considered ill-conceived stopgaps. I do remember that. Uh, Dreamcast was great, by the way. But if you think about it, uh, this uh, for the kids out there, this is why companies say we don't comp- or we don't comment on future product releases. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is what we're not going to do. We this will not is- confirm or deny the rumors. Right. This is, this uh, is a, you know. a lesson that's good to learn from uh, other people's mistakes for sure. Yikes. 
It's actually really interesting, though, at the same time, because there there is such a like a vibrant leak community now for stuff like flagship cell phones, for instance, uh, smartphones. Um, I, I feel like they've sort of discovered the right way maybe to avoid yeah. that effect, but use use the sort of clever leaking to their advantage. I think at this point, everybody knows there's going to be a new iPhone next year and it doesn't seem yeah. to cause great grief on the ones that are available today, which is interesting. Well, it seems yeah, that so like uh, it happened with the Nokia Windows phone um, and then also in the 90s. So other consumer electronic products have been continually plagued by the Osborne effect as well. In the early 90s, TV set sales were depressed by talk of the eminent release of HDTV, I'm sure y'all remember that, <laughs> which didn't actually become widespread for another 10 years. So people were, My they, goodness. yeah, they weren't buying new TVs because they're like, as soon as I buy this TV, HDTVs are going to come out and they didn't come out for like another decade. So there was just like this. Yeah. That's, interesting. <laughs> that's just, that's just awesome. And then we all remember 3D TVs and curved TVs, to which both were, both were flops. People, which, people still which, buy the by the way, ones. is oh, really? great because those are the kinds of silly things that they do with TVs that will let you buy absolutely phenomenal TVs like a year and a half later that the demand yeah. has just plummeted. So I actually have a curved 3D TV. It is a beautiful OLED display. It, it and I got it for like a third of its price less than 18 months after it was produced. It was hilarious. Yeah, but you bought it 18 months later. It was obsolete. Uh, yeah. Right. That's, buying obsolete TVs is the best. I don't even think the they should still you turn on 18 Joneses months later. Yeah. If you buy a <laughs> TV 18 on. months later, it shouldn't turn on. Like that's just <laughs> yeah. that's Dude, the passage of time with electronics is so weird, right? Because I can look at stuff and be like, man, that's still a relatively new device or whatever. And then like I was putting together some furniture in my kids' um, uh, like schoolroom area the other day, and I was I was laying down because I was trying to get under this cabinet thing I was putting together. And there's some chairs sitting next to me that I was like, "These are pretty new, aren't they?" And then the manufactured date on the bottom of them was March of 2012. Literally 10 year old <laughs> chairs, and I was like, "We got these a couple years ago, didn't we?" Yeah, I don't know. It's weird, man. Maybe that's yeah. maybe that's us getting old, and then now I don't know. I was about to say, celebrating. Right as you started to say this, I was Dude. like, "This is where Bewley says that he's getting old." Like, because <laughs> it was you were you were going to show it one way or another. You're that, like, "This I was mean, made '95. That was like three days ago, right?" <laughs> Dude, Tyler and I are about to celebrate our 20th uh, uh, high school reunion this year. Oh I'm right behind you with that one. It's we wild. graduated. Wow. We graduated 20 years ago. Two decades next month. ago, really. You know, this yeah. reminds me and of our the, friendship was 25 years ago this fall. Wow. It's so yeah. crazy, man. The, it, it reminds me of um, the XKCDs that come out, uh, you know, every once in a while where he points out that we're actually like closer to the heat death of the universe than we are to when um, like when it was created uh, some movie was was released no i no some movie <laughs> it would be like we're we're closer to the heat death of the universe than jurassic park jurassic parks released it and you're like oh gosh really <laughs> <laughs> that, that would just cause an incredible amount of panic if that were the case. Oh, uh, this is when my my daughters learned about how our son would eventually explode as they were learning that it was a star right and how it would mm. eventually swell in size that it would it would eat up and the earth bust. yeah yep they're like yep, the yep. look in their eyes no, and you're like yeah that's billions of years from now yeah what's what's nice about that is that we'll all be You're dead fine. already 
So correct. Oof. Yeah, it's gonna that, be, be super be awkward to for the people that are around at that time. <laughs> super <though>. awkward. <laughs> super <laughs> awkward. I don't, I don't know what to tell. You know, it's like, hey, listen, y'all got like 15 years left. Just do whatever you want, I guess. Do what you want. <laughs> okay. Um, tech this. news. Has anything happened recently? I don't know. No. Literally nothing. Nope. I think we should end the show like there's like now. There's just nothing. There's, yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's take this back to <laughs> we were talking about not sharing too much upfront information about future releases. Now, do we know any CEOs that maybe <laughs> wouldn't follow that trend <laughs> if <laughs> if they were given a microphone <laughs> or say a platform? To do He's it. the embodiment. He's the absolute embodiment of the AWS chaos monkey. Absolutely, oh, the embodiment ah, of it, dude. A hundred, a hundred percent. If the wonderful listeners don't know who we're talking about, then I'm very surprised. Uh, Elon or Ellen Musk, hang yeah. I think is what we're I calling thought, it. Wait, 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 wait. I gotta, I gotta go back for one second. Isn't Chaos Monkey a Netflix thing, or is that an that's AWS? Where, that is, that's where it originated. I wasn't. Oh, okay. oh okay. My bad. I, so I thought I had that in my head wrong. Um, because I've been living a lie. If uh, to if be fair, like at the time it was probably cool. running inside of AWS, so both yeah, right. Yeah, well, this I, is true. Oh, you're this right. Is true. But but in my head, it was like Netflix came up with Chaos Monkey and they released it to go, you know, stress test the yeah. environment. But the way Aaron just said it, I was thinking, oh my gosh, did AWS develop that tool and Netflix <laughs> is the one that popularized it? Like, is my no, whole no, no, life you're right. You're right. No, nope. It's, it it is definitely right. Netflix, and I have a, I have a Chaos Monkey shirt. Yep. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the Chaos Monkey. That is, um, that and is the Chaos Monkey is most certainly Elon name. Musk. Ah, yes, sorry, yes. Back to that for sure. No, he, uh, he, he, yeah, embodies it as you said. All right, back to the commentary. Sorry. Yeah, no, and I don't mean it as like I don't mean him as failure as a service type of a platform. I mean, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I mean him well, just as like it's well. it's it's absolutely chaos. You like just yeah. In terms in the, of the uh, true sense of the word. Right. Yeah, in terms of not operating in the proper way, and and you could see this in in the in the thought process of them inviting him to be on the on the Twitter board, which lasted all of like eight hours. There's no way that the other people on the board or that the laws that govern a, a board like that are going to be something he can operate within the bounds of. Which it just yeah. doesn't doesn't he doesn't function that way. It's crazy, but it works. And I guess, yeah, it certainly works for him. Um, he's he is an interesting fellow. You guys, uh, I know Aaron. I think you were watching some of it, but the was it like a TED interview of Musk shortly after the yes. know, sort of introductory offer or best and final, I guess, since that's what should, Musk should, said should we go ahead yeah, and state a... what we're talking about here for the public? Because I feel like even maybe one should know. Maybe we should point out that Elon that's Musk. A good idea. <laughs> uh, if everyone remembers, we talked about the Twitter poll, poll a while back that said, you know, does Twitter adhere to the principles of free speech? Yes or no. And then Elon said, the results of this, the, re- the consequences of this could be severe or something along those lines. Right. So yeah. everyone voted no, because they want to see what Elon's going to do. That's, <laughs> that's just, that's just a fact. <laughs> and, and so he went and he acquired 9.2, I think, percent of the company. Yep, sounds right. Yeah. Yep. Somewhere in that general over range. Nine. Uh, over nine, a little over nine. There's there's reasons for that related to when you start to get to above the 10% mark of, of an organization, things you have to report. And he's not a big fan of the SEC. And the uh, so that started this whole wave, right? Which is where 
you know, he became the largest shareholder of Twitter. He no longer is anymore, but he's number two. And he was asked or invited to join the board of Twitter. Now, what I don't know is if he declined or if they rescinded the offer. But nonetheless, he yeah, is not. They claim joining. that he declined it. Yeah, um, they in, claim that he okay. declined. Well, yeah. in part, probably it makes, that was it makes sense too. Right. Yeah. Part of it was a, a few different things. They limited how much they told him if you know if you're doing that, we want you to do this. Um and he said great. And then they said, Yeah, you yeah, you can't own more change. than exactly yeah, 14 and and, and you also can't speak like your mind about Twitter anymore. Yes. Like that was that's yeah. the, never mind that he would as a board member be a fiduciary, so he would have to do quote unquote what is in the best interest of Twitter. That is up for broad interpretation, but it still kind of paints you in a corner. Um, yep. But then they specifically were like, no, you can't just say what you want anymore. And I, I don't think either of those terms, not owning as much as he wants and uh, not being yeah. able to speak freely about it were, were things that he was interested in. Before we hop off that one real quick, though, um, I, I didn't confirm this. And I'd be interested if you guys saw similar stuff and if you know uh, authenticity. But it compared all of the Twitter board members and their ownership in Twitter as a platform and the board collectively owns like less than 1% unless you count Jack. And Jack only has like a two, roughly two and a half yeah, percent like stake according to what change. I was seeing. Like yeah. that blew my mind. Not not just yeah. that Dorsey himself doesn't own that much more of Twitter. I think that happens a lot with founders. They, they you know, release your shares. Obviously, that's a big part of, uh, you know, becoming a publicly traded company. But the board having such a tiny take in Twitter surprised yeah. me and maybe that's normal and I, I'm just way out of the loop but I was I was pretty surprised that they didn't have a more substantial financial vested interest in the platform because um, Elon Musk's initial buy that nine and change percent absolutely dwarfs the entire board's position by a long shot including Dorsey that was right. crazy to me yeah, so yeah. let's stay on that for a second. Uh, I think it's important to note a couple things related to this with the board and Jack. So I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but Jack was effectively forced out of Twitter. Mm -hmm. And, I think and I there were some... That. Yeah, there's some like relatively... I don't know if shady is the right word, but like there, there's some there's some accounts of like what's going on here. And Jack even partook on this uh, on Twitter. And so let me just let me read some of this for you to, to understand kind of some of the, the things that are going on. So apparently the board's creation at Twitter was a lot of sort of shady deals and just back end channels of people vying for powers, relatively normal Sounds things normal. I, would, I would wager that goes goes on uh, that, that caused Jack to kind of be somewhat forced out of the organization. So one interesting thing on here is um, I, this person, Gary Tran, who works for a VC in the space makes a comment that says the wrong partner on your board can literally make a billion dollars in value evaporate. It's not the sole reason behind every startup failure, but it is the true story, a surprising percentage of the time. And it started yeah. this, this wave of things on Twitter where people talk about how, you know, a good board doesn't necessarily mean that a company will be successful, but a bad one can yeah. mean that they fail heavily. I, I saw these. I feel like you retweeted something about that. Yeah, I did because I that, yeah. The biggest thing here good. is, and this is like a strong leading indicator of where Jack feels in all of this, is that Jack is partaking in these conversations, which he shouldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he, he responds to one of these and says, big facts talking about how a bad board can crumble a company. 
uh, and they he said uh, he called the board. It's consistently been the dysfunctional the dysfunction of the company. Someone asked him, "Are you allowed to say this?" He said, "No." So no. like literally, <laughs> he's you know partaking in this. So the whole yeah. board situation at Twitter is fairly messed up. I mean, a few of the board members have literally never even used Twitter. Once. Oh my gosh. Like what? not a and, single tweet, and I think not it was, a like. Was it the same yeah. thread yeah. where they criticized even the, the current CEO doesn't tweet enough was basically the claim. Yes. And that yeah. that's a that's a really interesting one too, because if you're operating a social media platform, especially one like Twitter, where I think it it's very much designed to sort of like grandstand or, or soapbox it's it's very easy you just you have a ton of followers you say a thing they they read it they interact with it right i, I don't know that that's dramatically different from any social media platform but like when i think facebook versus twitter facebook at least started as more of a stay connected twitter feels almost like a telegram but that is a social media platform where you're very much just blasting it out there kind of like a, a bullhorn how are you the CEO? like a bird a bird uh, but, on a branch. No, no, I don't understand just, that. That just, metaphor just, just doesn't work for me. I don't get it. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but how can you be the CEO of a platform like that? It's like, and well, not fly engage. away. Fly away. Go to another tree. If you think I'm tweeting too much, fly away. Unfollow. <laughs> Hit that button. Now, who, I'm sorry, who would tell you that you tweet too much, Aaron? No one. Literally no one would say that. But if you, if you look at... I mean, think about... Obviously, Elon's heavily active on the platform. Um... You'll see that <laughs> you wonder if anyone on the Twitter board even sees any of the things <laughs> that show up about them on the platform because so few of them seem to be Dude, using so it regularly. True. But whenever Elon, you know, apparently, so this is something that I learned recently that related to the, the board and Jack and then, of course, Elon. I was listening to one of the Twitter spaces talks about what was going on last week when all of this broke. And something that I learned through that, through various people talking about it, is that apparently Jack and Elon are close. They have a good relationship. And Elon was not happy about Jack's situation in the board. And he actually put out, and I just put it in our chat, <laughs> a, a tweet, ironically, that I guess no one on the board probably saw, which I think shows their existing <laughs> CEO now and like Jack standing next to each other on a boat and then water splashing and Jack no longer on the boat because he literally just got <laughs> pushed, pushed off of it. And this came from Elon. So you have to imagine the board who's responsible for yeah. stuff like this getting a response from Elon with like this type of picture, which once again, I'm guessing they've never even seen. But like you can think about the relationship there and their concern over Elon being involved with the business, uh, then him coming in here and saying like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna acquire this company. And whenever someone on, I think it was Ted asked him, they're like, have you secured financing? And his response was, I have sufficient assets to cover the deal was hilarious. I loved every second of that. So it was, Dude, and it was pretty awesome. Jack is still catching heat though. Like he, he caught heat at Twitter because he, they were like, Oh, you don't care as much about it. You know, you care more about square. And then he went and changed Square to Block and walked away from Twitter or got pushed away from Twitter overboard or whatever. But now, even at Block, the newly renamed Square, it's being claimed that he doesn't care about Block and all he cares about is Bitcoin. Just what the what? I don't know. Just interesting how I don't even know where I don't even know the proper words to say there, but just his 
reputation i'd say yeah yeah his reputation of inattention to the company he's trying to lead right so i don't know but yeah i don't know well i think um, i think there's a there's a story there as well and not about jack actually but about elon and maybe a reason why they're so well aligned if that makes sense. So there was a, um, do you, I, the person who founded but Elon seems to have, he seems to have intense attention to both his car company and his rocket ship company. Uh, uh, agreed. We're not, we're not being directly and to Twitter, which he doesn't, which he doesn't even own. He tends Correct. to care, or seems to care greatly about it. I've never seen Jack do anything like that for even like when he was at Twitter. Right. hundred percent agree with you. And I'm not, and this is, doesn't talk about, about block much. He like on Twitter, he doesn't talk about block. He talks about Bitcoin. All yeah, of the criticisms. That's really interesting. I, I think all of the criticisms about Jack can be fair, but let me, let me draw this correlation for you. Let me draw you a mind picture. Okay. So there's, um, there's a, I guess the, the founder of Reddit, uh, yet yishan I, I don't know that's what it goes by on yeah, twitter i was reading a thread from him the other day yeah so you mm-hmm. read that i'm assuming yeah, the, the same one. thread yeah yeah that yeah. thread was great. like this is why we can't have nice things yes exactly it's like the yeah. problems with with social media the problems with all of y'all what you, yes the what problem you think is with you're doing versus, not exactly yeah, not being it, nice everyone, to one another that that was great i think my biggest takeaway from that thread and, and i'm sorry if i'm well, stealing your thunder Russ, here yeah go no no keep going it's it it was the and I'm I'm gonna misquote it probably, but basically like they they don't care about shoving something into your brain. They're they're really not trying to influence you like that. They just want you to stop being jackasses to each other. <laughs> like they, that's it. They're not they're not applying some agenda. They just want you to be civil, and we can't. Humans on social yeah. media platforms cannot thread. be civil. It yeah, really is. It was a really neat it. read. Yeah, I, I think that that's a it's a fair take, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into no, why please. we make these decisions and all of the people, all of them, except for maybe Jack and definitely not Elon, are making the decisions around social media usage based off of some form of an incentive to get to some point within the business. Everyone. Right. And I think based off Jack's behavior, it wasn't. He do, He's not trying to play towards some of the incentives related to growing the business. Mm-hmm. And I know Elon doesn't care. And I'm not saying that this is around personal financial growth or anything like that. He has literally came out and said to the critics of his offer and everything else, He's like, yeah, I care. literally don't care about the economics of it. And so yeah, he cares about with the entertainment this, and the, and the, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I believe he fundamentally believes in just the, the power, speech power speech. of, yes, the platform. And everyone yeah. is saying, well, you're going to have to moderate because of the way the internet works because people are mean and it's yeah. going to be diff- It's going to be bad for the platform. Yeah. I mm-hmm. don't think he cares. I don't think he cares either. I, I'm so, with you on that one. Yeah, and, and, and I don't think that's hard. for Twitter, by the way. Like he, we've talked about this a lot in, also, in this concept yeah. of free speech and how it applies and how it doesn't apply. But if if you were to take a social media platform and just let it run loose, it would be garbage so fast, which is sad, but it's true. Like I just think it would devolve overnight if you stopped moderating 
uh, even beyond, you know, I maybe the most fundamentally like, okay, you, you can't post that. Like if you drew your line too far back, it would just be awful. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think the biggest thing you'd run into is if you look at other platforms that lack moderation, I think there was, um, what was the one called parlor or something like that that got kicked off mm-hmm. of the internet. Right. They couldn't, they weren't allowed to run on things like AWS, et cetera. Right. Twitter, as far as I know, I looked into this a little bit over the weekend just to see if if I was accurate. And it looks like for the most part, they run their own data centers. They seem to have some services in line with Google. Um, but in general, they tend to run their own data centers. So acquiring an asset in order to just sort of let the Wild West be the Wild West and be free, like what it seems like Elon maybe wants to do. He, I'm sure there's some other... He has some other ideas out there about the way he wants to use the platform and the way edits would work. He's also seemingly willing to take a whole bunch of uh, ideas, but he's mostly concerned about the whole idea that Twitter is a town square and it's being policed too aggressively. Mm. I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but some of the threats to this that other companies had, they're using other, other entities to provide the infrastructure they're running like AWS or whatever, wouldn't apply to Twitter. So I think what a lot of people are like, well, why don't you just go create your own platform, Mm. I think there's two things that limit that. One is the network effect, which is the general way social media grows and becomes popular. You rebuilding Mm. from a base up, no matter what your name is, is going to be difficult. The other one is going to be, how do you build it? And if you want to build it Mm. the way, say, Parler did, which gets it to market very quickly, and you don't do the things that your, say, platforms that you're running on top of wants you to do, then you can be kicked Mm -hmm. off. And so that's where Twitter is so much more interesting because they seem to run the majority of their own infrastructure, at least based off the information that I found. I'm sure if I dug for hours, I could find all the details. They are a public company. It's not that difficult. However, in general, that is a major thing that I think is, is, is up for grabs here is that I don't think Musk cares about the, you know, the growth of the business, which is one reason why the board will have a good reason to decline the <laughs> offer. <laughs> right. Um, he didn't guys, he didn't even come to the offer with anything but a financial buy. He yeah. didn't come with any plans for the business, which if you know anything about MA at all, no matter if you're public, yeah. Yeah, you're you can't out. do. Like you have to come yeah. with plans for the business moving forward. And so well, he didn't even just, prove uh, how he would how he would secure the financing. He didn't say I'm partnered with such and such bank or mm-hmm. this financial group or whatever. He just said, Hey, I want to buy it for, you know, what yeah. fifty-four dollars and twenty cents. Fifty four dollars and twenty cents. He Which I'm pretty sure is. he sat down for twenty minutes, worked the math out himself, and then threw an <laughs> offer down. Like that's exactly. that's probably how we got yeah, he's to like, where how do we I are put today? the number four twenty in the offer is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, We're at forty six dollars, let's go up to Let's make that a five and then do 420. Anyway, uh, Twitter has since moved. So for a while, they did run on their own infrastructure. Um, and it's built on MySQL and Cassandra and all that kind of fun stuff. In 2020, they did select AWS as their partner uh, to mm. run it. And it was a multi-year deal. Was so, it all of the infrastructure or just bits and pieces? Do we that's know? what I'm trying to find here. I'm trying Because I also saw the deal with Google it's and it's like it. for parts of it. So yeah. it's not something that would need to be looked into because I can guarantee you that if it becomes it's, crazy that yeah. platforms are running on top of, I'm assuming would do the same thing they to, did to Parler. Yeah, this is specifically to deliver the timelines is the partnership with AWS. Okay, so it's it's an aspect of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to see all the specifics, but it, it does seem like Twitter is going to have more leverage there than, say, Parler did, which was obviously a very small player. It would be interesting. It's like, yeah. you know, how big is the deal with AWS? A couple hundred million bucks? Hmm. It's like maybe, maybe in the billions. Uh, it's like, in addition, that, will they get rid of that? I don't know. See what yeah. Jassy wants to do with that piece. Uh, in addition, Twitter will continue to use AWS services such as Amazon CloudFront, AWS's fast content delivery network. Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> like you're reading ahead of me here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A service that securely delivers data, videos, applications, and APIs with low latency and high transfer speeds to customers globally. And Amazon DynamoDB, AWS's key value database that delivers single digital or sorry, single digit millisecond performance at any scale. Oh, right? dude. Uh, because we can, Twitter's we can get around those. We can, we, can, we can change CDNs and, and databases, no problem. It's the rest of it that would be problematic. Just Elon, let me know if you need help. Um, right. Let's see, where are we now? So he's made his offer, right? Yeah. Most people don't believe the offer will be accepted, et cetera, et cetera. But what does the board do? So um, pop quiz, who here knows in the realm of business, what it means to take a poison pill. Uh, I do. Only because that? I've been reading about it. I, I had <laughs> yeah. no idea what that was until like- It just makes it, ago. yeah, it makes it makes it extremely difficult for Elon to, uh, to buy out the rest of it on his own, right? So if he were to just start, like if the, if the, if the takeover offer wasn't accepted and he just started buying up shares, it, it dilutes his ability to do that. Well, yeah, exactly. It it makes it financially very difficult for an individual to buy up the shares because, if I understand it correctly, it's giving other shareholders options to to buy more shares uh, and at a, a discounted price. But, but that just floods price. the market. Mm-hmm. It floods the market with additional shares, and and then the negotiation, of course, to go and pick those shares up to get your numbers where you need them to be if you're yeah. trying to do a hostile takeover becomes increasingly more expensive. Yep. So this is you're nailing it. So this is I this is a I mean I've never seen this in real life. I'm sure it's happened. Yeah, it's many wild. Times. This is you know I learned about this in business school, whatever it was. I don't want to talk about years at this point, but the um, <clears throat> so. Effectively, if you take a business and they need to have some form of strategy to, you know, try to prevent or limit the ability or discourage, whatever you want to call it, a potential hostile takeover by someone else, <clears throat> this is effectively what they do is they take this poison pill. And there's a couple of different ways at which it can kind of go down. But what it, the, what it boils down to is kind of what Tyler just outlined, which is after a certain point, I think in this particular case with Twitter, it's after that 15% stake because it, it aligns with mu- the board. If Musk purchases 15% or more, yeah, that's it, when it exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if you go, if he goes above that 15% mark of purchase, it starts to allow the stock from other shareholders to be bought additionally at a much lower cost. And what if he's got some like umbrella corp that's buying up shares? I mean, then that would, I don't, I don't, I don't know. even know like what stops. Know. That's where the SEC is going to get you, involved. They're, and, yeah, they're you, throwing you haymakers at each other, right? That. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you've well, got to disclose that you're making, making, well, moves. you're supposed that's, to, that's where, well, <laughs> yeah. Supposed it, to. <laughs> and, and it will be really interesting to see what, if any punishment Musk has for the games that he already played with regard to SEC filings and being forthright. Like he's, he's dancing a dance for sure. I think if he were to make a true move, for a hostile takeover without proper uh, 
it, SEC filings, it's you're even more likely to get sued into oblivion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's my guess. I but shoot, I he doesn't Dude. seem to care uh, playing with that fire, anyways. When you did you see just earlier today, uh, he announced that if his uh, if his bid succeeds, that the three million dollars a year that's paid to this board for doing who knows what I don't know. Uh, he said he he would make that zero. He said immediately <laughs> he would pay them. <laughs> so. and for a bunch of people who don't even use the platform, that would be awful for them. Right? They, that's, but, they're clearly but, in it for for one thing. Yeah, it comes across as like a, he's like, well, there's three million dollars saved right there, and it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, you've, I don't know that Twitter's hurting to save three million dollars, but sure at the same time, dollars is is even like a week. <laughs> right, but it's it's, it's like an unnecessary low blow. It's a it's a chaos sure. monkey move. Yeah. I'm just gonna say no, for sure. It's a chaos monkey move. <laughs> for sure, it's a it's a shot directly at the organization's people Correct. who are looking at your offer, uh, which is, I mean, I, that's it's. He doesn't care. I, yeah. I think you nailed it, Russ. Like he just doesn't care. Like this is all political theater or or whatever version of theater it is when when Elon Musk is doing it, but. I, it's he's crazy enough that anything could actually happen, and he just he just wants to put a show on it. Seems like it's wild. It it is wild, and so let's let's continue down this path, right? So let's just pretend he goes and he gets his fifteen plus percent stake in the share, and then in order to continue acquiring shares, he has to do it at a pace faster than all of the other shareholders, right? To be able to get it in order to try and get to some form of 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 majority over the rest of the shareholders. Here's the thing that I don't think a lot of people understand. Actually, I know they don't because I didn't even really think about this until I saw people posing the question. They're like, well, they're a public company. He can just acquire them. That's not really how the world works. Um, Mm -hmm. There's two things that sort of typically prevent that. And one of which is you're seeing it, right? It's, It's the board. There's an approval process where they have to accept offers. The other one is, is a, something called amount of shares available. Right. <laughs> there's there's not like in there's there's not just a pump a company out there with just all of their shares in the market no. ready for you to 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 go. Like you will in fact if you're a shareholder of Twitter, you will get it a you know a letter from the board and co-signed with all of the entities that are involved there saying such and such company is looking to acquire these shares, the board is considering XYZ. And you then sort of give up your right to ownership with within the process. So there's there's just a I understand the idea of a publicly traded company means that it can be owned by the public, but you have to understand that there are there is a process here to make this happen. But I saw a lot of people on Twitter that were like, "Well, they're public; you can just cut the check and be done with it." It's it's just it's just not how that works. So, just wanted to clear that point up as well because it seems to be a lot of people, especially with this poison pill thing, are, are digging in into something that I don't think there's been much exposure to in their lifetime. But mm-hmm. this, this situation is just incredibly unique, but you can't just buy a company just because they're public. <laughs> there are safeguards in place to, sure. to well, prevent things it. like that. You can't hostile you can't, takeover. Correct. You can buy exactly. little pieces of it. You gotta, I, I gotta wonder though, and you see this a lot and I'm, I'm not intimately familiar with the space by any means, but activist investing in general is, is a pretty curious, um, I mean, air quotes, uh, act, in, activist in, investing. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it depends on how activist he's actually going to be. But my point is even owning 10%, like we talked about earlier, the fact that the board owns practically nothing in Twitter. And of course the 
board is an official position, they're going to have m more influence than your average share owner, regardless of how many shares they own. But it right. does give him a disproportionate number of voting rights too, which is which is interesting. And and I'm kind of like I don't know this off the top of my head, but who who else owns most of Twitter? I know that Morgan Stanley is one of them, right? So these are these are larger firms that have vested. They own like eight percent or something like that, if I remember reading correctly. There's uh, another. Ah, I forget well, what the major investment. Vanguard, 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 Vanguard just one. bought up a bunch more too. Yeah, right? they're number and I think one they now. were number two before that, and now they're number okay. one. Yeah, if that if memory but, serves. But they they obviously their interest is very uh, financial, right? Like that's all they care yeah, exactly. about. They want to see it financially exactly. it go up, which is probably why they they are act actively working against Elon buying this because they don't see uh, upward mobility for. Twitter's price, I assume. But actually, that, that brings up one of the funniest things I've seen about it so far, which is the, um, uh, I think it was Morgan Stanley explicitly, their price target for Twitter is 30 bucks a share. And I, I want to say they actually have like a sell uh, advisory. And their their recommendation to the board for the 5420 offer was it's not high enough. <laughs> Yes. I just get a huge <laughs> kick about like what they said the target <laughs> price was 30 bucks. And then like the very next thing that they said about it was that the price wasn't high enough. It's, it's like, well, pick I, one, dude, pick one. Trying to what? Yeah. It's nonsense. I think Tyler saw me tweet this. Cause like one of those analysts spoke up and they're like, they, this isn't even a real offer. Like you got to come to the plate with at least $60 and then we can talk. And I, and I made a comment that was like, okay, so if he had I, I came to the plate with $60 first, you would the exact same analyst would have been like, this is a joke. No board in America would accept exactly. this. It's gotta be $65 to talk or whatever it was. It, I just, it's just, it's just it's insane nonsense. to me. Cause it's, it, it's continued posturing. Which yeah. drives me crazy, or even this analyst trying to poke his head in the you know sun here to to prove that he's an expert on something <laughs> that is incredibly fluid. In fact, if you looked at the math behind Elon's offer, it was sound. Mm. Like it was really, really. Like if I'm sitting there thinking I'm the board and I'm not trying to be personally offended here, which every one right. of them is. It's, this is all ego. <laughs> they <laughs> made it personal. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. They'd be sitting here and say to ourselves like, man, if our fiduciary respons responsibility is to our shareholders right now and this is our share price and he's offering us this like 58% premium, I mean... They're like, this is incredible. In fact, Michael Dell, which feel free to come on, Mike, like he's probably looking at this like, holy crap, if I could have taken Dell private for, you know, some premium that was uh, this this low or this high or something. like. If you read his book, you would see that like this premium is solid, which, by the way, you should. You should read that. Um, What was it called? Billy, you read it too, right? Um, Play Nice But Win? Oh, the Play Nice yeah, But Win. Yeah, correct. Yeah, no, I was – sorry. When you were talking about that, I was trying to pull up the data on uh, Justin's son. He's the guy, the the um, Chinese entrepreneur that was outbidding um, – that was trying to outbid Elon saying 60 bucks instead of, you know, 50 – whatever, 54, mm. 20. There's uh, always these – so, yeah, but, but yeah, Play in, Nice in, But Win is his, is his book there. It's awesome. And, and one thing that he talks about in there is that these activist investors uh, or yeah. corporate raiders, as they're often called, um, they will come like they'll they'll sniff 
you know, that this is going on or they'll get word of it, right? That Elon's going to make XYZ offer. And then <clears throat> they'll come in either as an already investor or zero investment at all leading up until that point. And they'll buy up a significant amount of, we'll call it influence, their shares, but they'll buy the influence to go in and basically sway the board or the other shareholders that the person who's looking to make the acquisition or in Michael Dell's case, take the company private, which is a similar right. process, um, needs to be a higher cost because of XYZ. And I have a feeling that Vanguard or potentially this other person who's making this $60 bid or whatever is probably playing similarly because you, you can win. It could be a quick way to turn around a buck. Uh, so it's just an interesting like whole process that you can go through and like what the variables might be. I highly, highly recommend play nice, but win because Michael goes through in pretty good detail about the go private and public process and some of the corporate raiders he had to deal with in that process. And it's, it is fascinating. And I think as a sort of a reverse proxy, you could apply a lot of the knowledge to what you're, what you're seeing here. Yeah. And well, this it's other just, guy, it's really fascinating. This yeah, other, wow. I agree. This other guy you're talking about, he's, he's the founder of Tron, the cryptocurrency, a, a blockchain DAO ecosystem. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. it's not just some like, you know, random uh, business owner or something. He's trying oh, to push yeah. for, yeah, he's trying to push to make the make the platform crypto native, Web three friendly, open source, right. all this kind of stuff. So that, that's his interest. Be really interesting. Yeah, to I see think how this plays uh, out. I don't think I don't think anyone random does this. You have to be a person in a <laughs> certain sure. position to be able to to be able to play this game. That's that's for it's definitely not like TBP podcast is coming in and and making a sixty two dollar offer for Twitter. Uh, we yeah. can. I'll, we, I'll pay sixty-two bucks. As long as it's, as long as it's totally sixty-two dollars and not per share, uh, hundred percent. I have sufficient wow. assets to cover it. Twenty <laughs> bucks a piece. Uh, looks like Paul just joined the show. Welcome, Paul. Welcome, Mr. Paul Barron, our senior field EV correspondent. He's maybe yes. Uh, maybe stuck on mute. Don't be muted, uh, Paul. Yep. Yeah. And uh, wait for the uh, Twitter stuff to clear. <laughs> oh, dude. We'll be talking about Twitter ah. all day if, uh, if we don't shift gears to something else. It'll be yeah, a long way. Ah. No, it's, no, it's been a fun week. Um, no, thank, thank you for having me uh, here. I know I was really late, but um, yeah, just a fun week and a bunch of stuff uh, on the Twitters there about e-bikes, e-buses, EVs. Got to meet with Tesla, Rivian, and Lucid Air people all lined up at the state capitol last week. It was really awesome. Talking nerdy so stuff. Off camera. When do you it's see, just the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> when do you see the death of the internal combustion engine just for like uh, road vehicles? I'm not talking, you know, ships or, or airplanes or anything. You, like you may that, have but. to be more specific and go in the United States because there's a lot of the world yeah, that can't even support that's true. charging. Um, good good so. point. Let's talk. Let's talk U.S. Mm. What, do you, okay. what do you think? If you had to pick a year. Uh, I was just looking at a graph of that this morning. It looks like 2035, 2040, realistically. We have so many millions of vehicles in the road. So even, even if 100% of the cars were EVs right now sold, it still takes uh, well over a decade a because time. there's so many sure. cars. Yeah. So that's a yeah. little bit sad because our stat is like 2%. Our cars are electric and Norway is 90%. That makes me very sad. <laughs> like, what For real? Norway is 90% yeah. electric already? Uh-huh, but it shows incentives like tax rebates and stuff yeah. that make a big difference in buyer decisions, and they've been on it for a long time. So their uh -huh. country's looking swell for moving EV tech forward. 
and ours not so much. Hmm. I uh, I don't have nearly the context to make a uh, inadequate guess here myself, and I'm not being asked, but I'm going to because <laughs> in our industry, you know, IT, my my specific side, consulting, uh, we always talk about that thing that's going to replace that old thing, and we're always wrong. And yeah, so my true. best example of that is uh, a customer bought a tape library from us like two weeks ago. Um, we still yeah. have mainframes out there that die. people are. Yeah, it's just wild, die. right? Mainframes are still running very critical infrastructure around the country. So I'm going to take a guess, and I'm going to I'm going to assume I'll actually miss this by being short, not long. Assuming we take the long end and round up from Paul's guess here, and I go say 20 years from now. I'm going to double it and say 40 years from now would be my guess. So let's go ahead and mark mm. that down for this day in tech history in what, 40 years. What counts as what counts as death of ICE though, right? Because I think I basically mean that you, about you never see vehicles? them. No, I, I well, mean you never you never see them. Like when you go out, no. motorbikes, motorcycles are mm. all electric. I, I don't cars, think those and are going to be right electric. then because I think I think people are going to own antiques for a long time, and you're always going to have collectors, and they're never going to okay. let some of those things so, go. So don't be completely I, gone. I figured like I figured that would happen, right? But okay. where where those are the unique cases where occasionally you see a classic vehicle on the road, you mm. see a car from the fifties okay. or something like all right, that. All right. Fine. Set that aside. That's a unique, that's a rare instance, like every time you see a Lamborghini or something like that, right? But Fair no, enough. I mean, when you just streets. go walk through walk through the uh, the supermarket um, parking lot, which I will argue by that point, we won't have supermarket parking lots. There'll be supermarket delivery uh, warehouses is what it'll be. But <laughs> I don't like So what, what would you say? Live in? Hmm. I think it's going to happen I mean, faster. The most people would think we're a majority, like 90% plus of what you see in a supermarket. Because when, like, by the time you get to 2030, your resale value on buying a gas car at that point, you know it's going to be difficult if you're like my wife and I, where we keep our cars 12 or 15 years. So places yeah. like London, it's already outlawed to buy, drive your car downtown. Norway are outlawing the sale of electric, anything but electric by 2025. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to maybe tip a little quicker than people are thinking if yeah. supply chain and all that can well, keep up with the materials. So it's probably that's, like, that's why it, I kind of yeah. asked that question, right? Yeah, because I think if, if we cut off the sale of internal combustion engines, which I think could happen in the next 10 to 15 years, then the, the rate at which all the older cars gets off the street until whatever tipping point is for seeing the antique here and there or a classic, right? Um, if we cut off sale of new cars, we will probably also pretty aggressively incent getting rid of your old clunkers too. And you remember like the clunkers for cash programs that they did uh, yeah, yes. when, when a lot of the emission standards changed? They they literally yeah, would like pay you extra money for old crappy cars. And then part of that process was bricking the engine so it could not be used for anything else. You, they, they literally destroyed them. I, I want to say they poured something into them that ruined them. But like, that that water. would be the water kind of it may have just been water i, it's I honestly don't remember what it was two hydrogens and one oxygen <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that was it yeah dead. that would certainly <laughs> mess it up pretty good um but uh it, it, those are the kinds of programs that would accelerate something like this so if you see regulation law whatever that says no more internal combustion engines may be sold i think you might see a rapid acceleration of elimination of seeing them on the streets because it will just be incented to do so and and that will actually drive the electric vehicle industry forward as well that it, it's 
economically a, an interesting problem to solve, right? Yeah. So I'm kind of with um, you, Paul. It could it could happen pretty quick, depending on how uh, excited uh, government gets about it. Put it that way. Yeah, I mean, power companies need to get on board, incentivize you to charge at night, so you don't have to upgrade neighboring, you know, uh, wires in the neighborhood like mine. My transformer that recently got replaced. There's there's stuff like that. There's electrifying, you know, America. If you want to do cross country trips, easy on Tesla, not so easy on the others quite yet. Uh, getting better. So there's definitely hurdles to clear, but yeah, by 2030, the world might look awful different. Um, on, the, on the good news front, there's more choices finally in the US. You now get to watch reviews on things like uh, Toyota, their BZ4X, not the snappiest name to memorize, Subaru, Solterra. Uh, the Toyota and Subaru, kind of low range, like low 200s, not impressing someone like Russ that wants 500 miles range plus apparently, but um, right. still, it's more choices, more SUVs is my point there, and mainstream. What's the gotcha? Mm, the low range and also slower charging. People don't really want to sit around for an hour. They want maybe 20 minutes on a long road trip in the summer with their family or half an hour. So those cheaper cars came out and they're missing the mark already, but they were also late to the game. Toyota was actively lobbying against electric cars just two years ago, and here they're reluctantly finally putting one model in the market. So <laughs> this, is, this is Microsoft saying, you can't virtualize SQL. Until yeah. we can, Ooh, can virtualize nice. it ourselves. Okay, now you can virtualize SQL. It's okay. Nice um, analogy. I saw you saying something about that recently. That's funny. You snuck that in. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that one's kind of stuck in my head. Um, yeah, then, that was the then, Kubernetes comparison. Yeah. So let's look at the other side of uh, Asia Pacific there. Wait, hold Instead on. I have a question on the BZ4X, if you don't mind. Yeah. Do you so know Japan. where that's yep. from? Like lowercase b, capital Z, four, and then an X. No idea, but it's a common platform. Nope, I don't know. I didn't look that up, but I do know they're a common platform as Subaru. Basically the same car. Yeah. So okay. the Toyota BZ4X and Subaru Soterra are very similar. And you're starting to get reviews uh, in the US of people looking at them and shipments will be slow. Hyundai, in contrast, from Korea, uh, they're doing all right. They're getting good reviews. They also have 350 kilowatt charging speed versus running the mill, 150 watt, uh, kilowatt charging speed on other entrants that are just not really they're missing the mark. Even the Ford F-150 is going to charge at a, re a relatively pokey 150 when it finally comes out. So we're all over the map on charging speed. And I don't think people have any clue how important that is uh, yeah. until they get the car. You know, they know about the battery pack and the range, but do they really read further on the sticker? Like, how long does it take to charge so this thing? Any, so, you're not seeing yeah. any standards start to materialize for EVs? Well, here's a good one. Uh, Rivian. They came out with software upgradable. They just didn't have it at full charging speed right away. A guy named Kyle, Kyle Connor, who I mentioned on the previous time I was on your podcast here, um, he's testing that stuff. And he drove the Rivian. He drove Lucid. Uh, someone else from uh, Inside EVs drove the Lucid Air over 500 miles in the real world at 70 miles an hour on the highway. I know in Texas, you guys have 85 mile an hour. That's a different world. A lot yeah, we do. Drag. But yeah, I know. Uh, but not here. 85 everywhere. Regardless. Yeah, well, not so much in the Northeast, right? But anyway, a 70 mile an hour <laughs> test is actually pretty reasonable uh, around here. And that's a big deal. So they do some testing where they go in both directions. So you do a big loop because the wind, you know, if you got a 10 mile hour headwind, you need to have a 10 mile an hour tailwind for half of your testing. So they're doing it right. So bloggers, younger bloggers, people that are not your traditional magazines and stuff, they're doing reviews that are sound niche at first, but then you realize you're actually going to be shopping and buying one of these things. These are important things to know. They don't even show in the mobile running sticker. Like what's the charging curve? What's the charging curve mean? In the beginning, at like 10, 20% battery life uh, left, battery charge left, your car charges fast. If you pull up in the middle of winter and your car is parked in an apartment all night, not plugged into anything, and you charge at a place two miles away at a supercharger, it's a very pokey slow thing to go from like, say, 80% to 100% right before you set in a road trip. 
completely mm-hmm. different. You start charging at 10, 20%, you can get 250 kilowatts on a Tesla charger right now. Um, and I've done that in my car, 251, all the way to 1,000 miles of range per minute. But it doesn't stay there. It only stays there two, three minutes, and it starts to taper. That's the curve. Ah, So each car that comes out has differences. Hyundai Ionic, great reviews, but not so great in winter because it doesn't even precondition when you're driving to a charger. Preconditioning means you take some heat from ambient air, like through the heat pump, and you push it into the battery because it says, oh, I'm going to a supercharger in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I'm going to start getting the battery a little toasty because it's the dead of winter so that it can take a charge quicker and get me in and out of that supercharger fast. Okay. Yeah. The car, you can tell the car it's going to be supercharged in like 20 minutes and then it gets itself ready. Yeah. Tesla handles that automatically for years now and their firmware has gotten real sophisticated at it where it tells you right in the screen. Okay. I see, you know, we need to route you to supercharger and it's like 40 minutes away. So your car starts warming up its own battery pack, becoming less efficient as you get there, but getting you in and out of that charger faster. So it's less good. So, and I've charged 120 times the last 3.3 years. I've never had to wait for a Tesla supercharger in the Northeast, but that's not true in California. So we're blanketed with super, you know, supercharged. We got, I think, 22 in Connecticut already and seven more being built this year. Electrify America nice. only has a handful, <laughs> and it's way behind. So it really does matter where you live uh, and what brand of car you buy. But anyhow, well, there are more and more choices. Yeah. And Hummer let me get and another take and here. Coming. Yeah. Mr. Daniel Platinum has joined the call today. Oh, awesome. Our, uh, senior field VR correspondent or XR, excuse me. Sorry. Didn't mean to pigeonhole oh. you just to VR there, sir. Uh, <laughs> I, the question I had posed right before you joined was when do you think we'll see the death of internal combustion engines on the road in America, not counting classic vehicles that are around just for the sake of, of being ground? What do you think? What, what year would you pick? Oh, man. Uh, uh, let's go, uh, let's go 15 years from now. So I guess that's 37. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't that, that's that's right around the range. We we better improve our charging infrastructure. Especially if we're going to keep these design principles that are like, oh yeah, 200 miles are fine. And you know, it's once everyone has an electric car that can only go like this, distance that I can ride my bicycle, we're all going to be sitting at these chargers much more on not just long trips, but our way to work. Yeah. So well, good. We, we got 15 years. Get to it. Well, <laughs> get, get going. I, the expert here. What, what did Paul say? I'd rather listen to He actually was in line numbers. with you. He said okay. 15 to 20. Um, I, I was more accurate, as we'll see in 40 years. <laughs> instead, instead 40 years. <laughs> well, dude, I'm closer to what you're saying, Russ. I, I tend to, I'm looking at like 2050. Right. I mean, I feel like there's going to be some some catalyst moments for sure. There's going to be some moments where we align to standards. There's going to be all that kind of stuff. But you're going to have. I think there's going to be a long tail uh, for for adoption for some areas within the United States. I guess. So I don't know. Interesting. Well, I give it a, a little bit of science. I threw a little report in the uh, Telegram chat. If you want to look at that, it gives the curves yeah. for the different countries. You'll Ooh. see Australia ahead of a U.S. and you'll see a Europe way ahead of us. Period. And, I wonder uh, how happens- rural. The, I mean, the main thing I was thinking about is like rural America, right? How soon does oh, rural yeah. America become oh my gosh, fully electric? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. And probably oh, no. at the same speed that they're going to get high-speed internet. For <laughs> right? A yeah, price. big challenge. So never. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Something yeah, Elon's working on? remarkable. Uh, Elon's going to solve monkey. both? Which one does he solve first? That's the <laughs> well, I'd say he's, uh, he's well down the path on both, so yeah. Yeah, go look at his uh, his Twitter posts. He goes from like fighting the SEC to showing you know a space station dock 
to a rocket landing to a, a new um, gigafactory being launched. It's it's incredible. I, I don't know. Yeah, he's mind blowing. It's awesome. Well, you can't argue continues. that he's not an innovator. <laughs> Continuing the optimism front in the industry, you've got GM with an Equinox that could actually start around thirty thousand. Let's believe that when we see it. Um, but it will not have the seven. It will not have the seventy five hundred dollars tax credit. Why? Because they already sh- sold two hundred thousand bolts that they um, you know end up recalling every one of them. But anyhow, so at least a new com- cost competitor that's significantly less than even the Hyundai Ionic five, which is starting at forty four thousand, I think. So that's good news if you're a GM fan. Now, what kind of volume and how will they do ramping up production? Who on earth knows? And that's next year. Then you got the oh. Hummer, the Hummer EV as well, and um, coming from yep. Good question. Dude. Have you have you met anyone that knows more about EVs than you? Like, have you run into any? Because your knowledge is is unreal. It's absolutely unreal. Oh, oh, many people when I go to these meetups or whatever. Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, your recall, but your stats and your like your awareness and your your speed and up to date and just it's it's mind boggling, man. Um, that I, would be interesting if you could if you've met somebody that that knows more about all this than you. I. I have. Uh, it, various meetups are people that have run these user groups for way longer than me. I've only been interested in the last, you know, three years or so. Some of them have been into it for a decade, driving their Nissan Leaf or Prius. You know, they were the predecessors that were the early adopters that we. Can I ask you about? You know, I'm a latecomer. Yeah. I, you I'm mentioned about latecomers. That you're about to talk about. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, it looks Hummer. like Norway. You know, as you mentioned earlier, is smoking everyone. I mean, it's not yes. even close. Um, yeah. It looks to me like this graph starts around 2012 timeframe. Is that the, I mean, have, have EVs only been around for the decade or did they have something else in Norway prior to that to drive this adoption? Okay. Well, Right now, when I looked at electric vehicles, when you look at page five of that same PDF, I just discovered PHEVs are included. Right, so that's pretty misleading. I'm sorry. What is that? Is that plug-in <laughs> so hybrid? It is. So PHEV okay. versus BEV. So nobody says BEV, right? So people just say the word EV. And for some sites you read, they mean plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, which have like th- maybe 30 miles of range. Uh, electric right. My, and my, bro- my brother has one of those ones Cur- that Chevy makes, like 56 miles or something. And, do- and don't get me wrong. If he's driving to work and back, like commuting Monday yeah. to Friday on that, he's working on electricity. They don't have their that's place, cool. but it's yeah, just they have their place. to say that that's the EV take. Exactly. So that would explain the year we're seeing there. So yeah, I'd like to see another graph that just shows BEVs only, battery electric vehicle only. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'll be when I go to these public events, like at the Capitol last week, yeah, just peep the public walking by, looking at e-bikes, and then stopping by, you know, like uh, EV booths to ask questions about trucks or whatever. Very much of the fact, like, really, Teslas don't use any gas. Like, they're still in that mode. Like, mm-hmm. wow, there, there are cars oh, yeah. on the highway that do not use any gas. Oh, yeah. Many often, didn't very I, often. It's just. Can I tell yeah. you guys about my interaction with my parents who have a plug-in hybrid vehicle as well? Um, no, I don't think so. Hey, I can't remember which one it was, uh, but I remember. I was just, my wife and I, this probably about a year ago, um, actually it was around the time that, that Brooks was, a little after Brooks was born, so it was less than a year ago, call it call it six months ago, we went to the Tesla store, and we were just, we were actually just out and about, and there was a Tesla store there, so we just went, and we were just sort of asking them questions, and, you know, wanted to know when superchargers were going to be in Lubbock sort of thing, so we, uh, <laughs> we go through, we're talking with them, and so I just went back to the house, and I told, I was, I was actually at my, my mom's house. And brought up with them. Yeah, it's like, look, these, I didn't even know they had 
cars in this price range to be able to get like um, you know a, whatever it was a Tesla for like fifty grand or whatever it was, and my mom said, "Oh, cool. Well, how far does that go on the battery?" And I said, "Well, this one goes you know three hundred and thirty miles or something like that." She goes. What before it uses any gas? And I was like, uh, I mean, well before it uses gas, um, infinitely before it uses gas. Actually, is the best measurement that I could give you. And she was like, What do you? What do you mean? I was like, Well, it, it doesn't have it. Like, there's no gas tank. There's no combustion yeah. engine. And, and it blew her mind. Um, yeah. And I didn't realize that people didn't know that about Tesla or or many EVs in general that are coming out that they that there was no gas component to it at all. No, fun related story. I'm pulling up to the Capitol behind a school bus. And I'm thinking, oh, school bus is here. I'm not sure why that the Capitol. I look a little closer. I'm right behind it. I don't smell anything and I don't see a tailpipe. Ding, ding, ding. There was no stickers, nothing to indicate it was electric, but that's why it was there. And I did a full tour what? and 4K video and stuff. So that's, cool. the, that's the thing. I, the same kind of thing that's happened awesome. when I was at my, I was at my in-laws house two years ago, uh, Christmas time. And some, some people I hadn't seen in a year, they pulled, uh, three years ago, excuse me, right when I got the car pre-pandemic and um they pull up in the driveway and they're like um yeah i see you have an electric car they didn't say the word tesla just said you see an electric car i go oh i'm just curious what made you notice because there's no word tesla anywhere in the car just a logo and they're like oh you just have no tailpipes that's all that they noticed that was interesting <laughs> so they actually spotted the car had no tailpipes so they pulled in the driveway and i just thought that was it was just huh. cool you know, everyone has a different perspective and i try never to laugh because everyone has just so many different feelings about cars they hate Elon sometimes, so, and you're talking about that. They love trucks, and then they're talking about range. It, it could be anybody walking up at a booth like that. And to me, that's a blast. You just don't know what you're getting, and you hang out with them as long as they want to talk. It's just fun. Paul, we're on the yeah. cusp. So as we move to EVs, we're on the cusp of every vehicle having somewhere between 700 and 1,000 horsepower. This is concerning <laughs> to me, and I don't think anybody is talking about it. <laughs> okay, the brand new. So I don't know if you've ever driven a Jeep. They're not exactly like rollover proof. Uh, there's a new all electric, like the Wrangler Magneto <laughs> How's 2.0. That for an understatement. <laughs> Zero to 60 in two seconds. It's 625 horsepower, 850 foot pounds of torque. Like it's insane for a Jeep that should never, never accelerate that fast or have, be able to pull those types of lateral G's because it won't. It will just roll forever. You know what I mean? Like, like sideways. That the way should you're be one of the ratings. Like, so zero to roll. Is anybody talking about this when you guys go meet up? I mean, like, is there some underground or does nobody care that the, the Mustang Mach-E is a thousand horsepower and the, the, the Tesla Model X is a thousand horsepower and the, the Hummer, what is the, what's the, the electric version of the Hummer called? Brave. I'm pretty Hummer. sure it's just yeah, Hummer, Hummer EV. Hummer EV is also, what, over a 1,000? It's the battery. Like, the whole thing weighs 10,000 pounds, and for it to accelerate as quickly as it does, like, this is insane. Like, Yeah, yeah, that car does weird porpoising. So that's a little scary. You hit the accelerator, and the nose lifts up. And you hit the brakes, and you're diving down the ground. But in my Model 3, which is 4,000 pounds and rather low to the ground, yeah, it's 4,000 pounds with batteries very low versus a Hummer, where the battery is quite high, right, because you got that huge clearance underneath. But and, the battery alone weighs uh, four thousand pounds or something. I know, but I mean, it's four hundred and forty-seven horsepower. <laughs> that four hundred and forty-seven horsepower and four seventy-one torque. I'm looking at the specs here. That sounds oh, scary. When I test drove it, when I test drove it, I'm like, well, yeah, but it's zero to sixty in three point eight, which is crazy. I mean, yeah. the, think of the curve, the power curve. Yes. Unlike a turbo spooling up or whatever power curve you look at for a gas engine, you don't not waiting for the RPMs to go up to have power. You got power as soon as you hit the go pedal. So. 
it changes everything. Google so that's why my zero to 60 is 3.8 because you've got Google's power right away. The Hummer, Google's telling me the Hummer EV is a thousand horsepower as well. That's how it does the zero to 60 in three seconds. Yeah, it and it's twice as much as my car, right? More than twice as much as my car. Yeah, it's oh, four I'm times sorry. I thought you said it was only 460 horsepower or something like that. Uh, that's my car. So Model 3 is 4,000 oh, pounds, okay. 460 horsepower. Hummer is more than double the weight, four times the battery. <laughs> and yeah. also can do zero to 60 and 3.0, which is incredible because it is 1,000 horsepower. So wildly overpowered. But let me just back up. Traction control has gotten stupendous. My car in the snow, you, could you can floor it on a curve. It will not send me into the trees. The tail will wiggle out about five degrees. And then boom, like robotically, it's like you're back on a railroad track going around the curve in the snow. Yeah, that's incredible. So Smart. you so can a floor point. a 470 horsepower motor and not a 447 horsepower motor and not get in trouble is my point. Rain, snow, whatever, especially the all-wheel drive, even the rear-wheel drive that my wife has, you hit that one hard in a curve in a big parking lot when nothing's going on. Again, nothing really happens other than it slides out a little bit and then you feel it just do traction control magic. Okay. Instantly. So like power, when you yeah. power when you need it, traction control uh, and when you don't. Okay. So and, and Hyundai and other ones are doing it too. It's not just a Tesla thing, right? They're really stepped up their traction control game, all of them. Yeah. Okay. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to sound the alarm bells when it's not needed because if anybody thinks overkill is underrated, it's me. <laughs> I love the idea of a thousand horsepower, but I'm just trying to picture the average driver that is nowhere near as good of a driver as I am uh, behind the wheel of a thousand <laughs> And sitting on top of a thousand horsepower, <laughs> do we have any concerns? Is the answer just no? We, there's no well, concerns. Okay. <laughs> well, we should go around the room and ask them. But I'll say this: there's another feature I turn on in both of our cars, and that is collision avoidance. Like if there's an obstacle in front of you that the radar ultrasound yes. is picking, and you floor it, you're in a stop sign, and the car is still crossing traffic, and I floor it, it will not go full bore. It'll be like, "Hey, you idiot! You keep out of clearance from that other car," and I'm going to, you know, back off the horsepower a little bit. It's fine. I sound like I'm think, crazy, but I test stuff, right? This is like in a parking lot or whatever. It's it's very obvious and very clear. The car earns your yeah. trust very quickly. I was nervous as heck before test driving it. Within a mile, I was absolutely fine. Like, oh, I thought my tires were going to be spinning. Or I might have the rear end come out on me. Not even close. It's absolutely fine. That's so. the type of stuff, man, that I think is going to accelerate the initial question that I posed, right? The death of ice, where we talk about you know 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, 40, whatever. Maybe it's 20, yeah. 20 50 by the time this happens. The the um, just the legal requirements of collision avoidance capabilities that you just mm. don't see for some reason in ICE vehicles and you see them throughout. It's just a feature of it being electric is having all these capabilities because it's required. I don't know. I don't know what it is about EV being synonymous with with, uh, you know, self-driving, which is then including uh, collision avoidance. But I think that's going to accelerate that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And also is a smart move when you're trying to fight against the stigma of 20 years of no innovation on the Prius and not being a particularly fun egg to drive around. And, never yeah. them. and I had a Honda Civic yeah. hybrid for 14 years myself. So it was like driving on a rubber band transmission, right? Very modest uh, horsepower. And if you put four people in it, boy, did you feel it if you're going up a hill. So you're now nervous accelerating onto a highway to blow all that away and put a smile on my face the instant I test drove it. That was it. Uh, I knew it's like, okay, my cost of ownership to own this thing for the next 10 years would be way cheaper than getting another Honda Civic or Accord. This is it. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. It was like immediately obvious when you take the test drive. And that's, that's what, you know, buns and seats, T test drive a Hyundai Ionic 5 or Tesla Model Y or Model 3, you know, whatever, just get in some electric car, you're generally going to be blown away. Some of them like well, the Equinox at 30,000, it'll be zero to 60 in five or six seconds. So that one will be like, oh, it's a little quicker than my gas car, but not that big a deal, right? <laughs> it, it, depends, it depends on the type of person, but 
Well, it really does and I think the nice thing about the that future state is that there will there'll be there'll be something for everyone in the EV space, right? Exactly. You'll, you'll have your your super sporty end. You'll have your super duty truck equivalents. You'll have the the weekend warrior and thirty mile to work vehicles, and you'll have your uh, cross country dragon something um, EVs, and and that's that those are the kinds of things I think that are going to have to happen to really um, stop seeing ice vehicles that you know being produced right right now battery vehicles just don't fill every gap but they're going to we can already see it coming but something else that's kind of cool about that future state too is that as we move towards electric vehicles and as we move towards all the automation and cool tech that goes into those uh our senior field correspondent and all things xr has to have something to say about all of the cool infotainment things that are coming in that space, because that's probably the only place I'm going to get to experience these things. Like in a drive somewhere while my car is doing all the fun stuff, I can just be in meta, right? What's the latest dude? We haven't heard from you in forever. Daniel, educate us, man. I'm so oh, scared. spot. Uh, I don't know. It's it's been interesting just seeing all of these partnerships show up between like car companies and different like XR related companies, like you know headsets in your car, uh, which I have a hard time imagine imagining not getting sick doing Wait, that. Headsets but, in your car? Yeah. Sorry, well, that's a good point. Well, yeah, that's what I was hinting at. That that while my car is driving me, uh, you know, around the nation, I'll be uh, experiencing my my oh. augmented reality uh in the vehicle but no that's a really yeah, good point tells um, me, something tells me your ears the what is that called with the bones and like your you know what the, i'm talking about what? vestibular system with vestibular system yes the vestibular <laughs> system thank you with the bones no the fluid with the little bones the, the little bones with the fluid that spins in different directions that helps keep yep. you stable yeah, if right. you're in a vehicle that has G's pulling you sideways or forwards or backwards, and you're in a in a meta world where you're flying around putting out fires on the tops of buildings or whatever, you're I, need I'm imagining I'm imagining a competitive sport now where like you're like being pulled and like you're in like a fifth wheel like Tyler just bought, and you're being pulled by a truck around a NASCAR track, and you're competing against other people with your VR headsets on. And part of it is is your athleticism to like stay upright up. inside oh of your. <laughs> oh, I hope that I'm happens sorry. one day. I'll Back watch. to you, Dave. Me too. <laughs> so, I, who are these I new players and partnerships? What are you talking about? Oh man, I well, I'm uh, just so everyone knows, I'm coming in on this show without any prep or anything i was just listening <laughs> so I have anything in front of me right now i'd have Same to do here. some uh, some quick googling uh so good what are you what are you playing in in oculus these days oh well obviously be spatial all day every day that's right <laughs> well, that's not a game day. that's work bro yeah that's life, uh, life. that is life, life. that's life uh mostly i still mostly just do beat saber and uh and golf plus is the name of it golf plus is that it i'll have to check that one i'll teach you how to play play golf a little bit better uh, because i'm i'm terrible at the game um how do you feel about this would be interesting uh so there's a there's a report right now says future xbox games might have ads the tech is being developed 
seems kind of awesome. counterintuitive considering tech has been developed for that for a very long time. <laughs> right? uh, however, it does seem like ad space in a virtual world would seem to be much more, I don't know, I guess once the market's big enough, like maybe more viable because it's, it's kind of like replacing the yeah. billboards, you know? Is have you guys? Whenever you, I mean, maybe you're looking at vSpatial, you're working with any of the other partners, like business model wise, outside of the idea of just selling subscriptions to the platform, has has VR opened up different looks at that, or have y'all considered ads, or have you seen others that are thinking about doing it that way? Yeah, I haven't seen someone uh, do it well, or it, in the way I have envisioned it yet to this point. Uh, but certainly that's been something just, and not just, not just VR, but just games in general, especially games where you're interacting, you know, with truly digital worlds. Like, you know, my kids play Roblox all the time. Um, I'm, I'm surprised we, we haven't seen uh, more digital ads in, in those places yet. Uh, especially since no they can kidding. be much more interactive and you can, you know, you could transport yourself to uh, to some kind of, you know, Coca-Cola experience or something if you go over to, you know, the Coca-Cola ad in, in your Roblox game. Uh, I mean, if you think about it like coming, this, yeah. like, you know, Zuck is trying to create, uh, you know, basically the, you know, AR's iPhone moment, right? They're trying to, yep. he's trying to latch on to whatever that means. I know he wants more control over his platform, but even if you think about like ads at scale, there's a lot of ways to block ads inside of browsers and whether they're phones, tablets, PCs, etc. And I think a lot of that is over the past few years has been pretty problematic for the ads industry at times. We've seen they've done pretty well, but I think for Facebook in particular, that's something they'd, they'd probably look at wanting to do is like, how do we combat this? How do we grow our business in the future? And I feel like in a virtual world where the ad is like a part of the virtual world and less of a plugin, like a website, like maybe there's something there to like the exposure of ads to people that there can maybe in a more regular everyday life avoid. I just feel like there's, there's, there's something there that he's trying to latch on to, at least that it seems like he would be trying to latch on to, that I feel like is rife with opportunity for different business models inside of, you know, inside of these worlds or the same old business models inside of them like we're talking about with ads. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm sure that's the direction that, that we're heading. I'm, you know, uh, as much as I interact with with Meta, uh, I have I haven't been on any meetings where we've talked about that. <laughs> Why aren't you uh, meeting with Zuck more often, dude? Like, what are you even you know, doing? <laughs> I ask myself that question pretty regularly. Uh, Why won't he take my should, call? You should try tweeting at him. <laughs> no? Is he even no? on Twitter? Well, <laughs> if he's if he's on Twitter's board, then the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Got him. Uh, yeah. Cool. We're we're going there. That's my take. <laughs> we're gonna get there. It's gonna happen one day. We're gonna have VR inside of vehicles. Uh, by the time vehicles have the range that I want them to be, which is between twenty and eighty percent of charge to protect the battery, unless battery tech changes, 
I want it to be at 400 plus miles. Oh, it's going to change. And I want to, uh, it's going to change. And I want that 20 to 80% to charge in, uh, I'm going to say, uh, 11 minutes because I'm not willing to go single digits just oh. yet. And uh, wow. once we can do that, we'll be all right. So, Ross, you, you, you uh, foresee – you would, Yeah, that's pretty lofty. You, would, you wouldn't charge at home much or you drive so much per day, charging at home much doesn't matter. Is that what you're saying? On the recharging, I'm really critical. I am literally kidding. going to take home charging out of the equation entirely. Huh. Because my issue with the need for, like, for instance, I have driven down to Austin, which is not that far, um, 220-ish miles or so. Um, I have driven driven down there every single week for the last six weeks straight, and I will continue to do that indefinitely. Uh, And, you know, at whatever point in time that I need to stop and get gas or whatever it is. And my truck, you know, goes, my truck goes the same 400 miles on a tank that it went in 2013 when it was released. I get, it's still there. And so I, I can drive the distance without any problem. However, when I get to Austin, and this is a place that is, you know, Austin is, I would say a progressive area. Yep. It would be, I, where I, where I typically stay at my brother's be difficult for me to get into his same garage or I'd have to start having to mess with where he charges his car so that I could charge mine so that I can get out and go on the road again or, or whatever it might be. This is just one example. But what I'm envisioning is a world where let's just say in 15 years, we got to the point to where 90% of Americans were driving EVs every single day. We better hope that 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 the EV charging infrastructure, both at home and away, has gotten dramatically better. Like people in apartments, it's standard where they park, they can charge their cars, et cetera. Because if not, then that whole 20-minute stop you described, which who stops for 20 minutes to fill up a car with gas? No one. Well, for me, I do because I don't stand there, right? I immediately leave. I go use the bathroom and go get some food in the food court. When I'm in Delaware, I'm way to D.C. So for me, yeah, it's no different. about gas. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I know, but you're talking about just getting gas, which is a little different than when I stop to recharge, right? I don't stand well, there and attend to it. I just walk it, away. It won't matter. In it's 40 years, different. all the cars won't even have batteries anyways. They're just going to be running off of their tiny little fusion reactors because that's yeah. what's <laughs> happening in 40 years. That's what you're talking about. Well, there that's you go. The but that's, that's my point, though. No, it's like, all good points, though. The garage and your brother's. That's all still good points, an EV. Yes. It's just not a BEV. I'm just I'm just pointing out that like when there's more cars on the road, depending on where charging infrastructure is, the the availability of chargers will turn more into California than it is Connecticut. No, that's fine. That part of it will be much more because right now, I mean, what are all these people in California that are struggling to find chargers? Like I like I talked to it's well a candidate uh, out in California who somehow we got on the topic of EVs because he'd worked in a in a past life in a, a couple of years ago for a company that was trying to start up be a startup of them, and he got rid of his Tesla because of the charging limitations of where he could find them where he lives in uh, the northern northern California area, and so. You know, home charging wasn't overly viable for him. Power was relatively inconsistent. I know they, I don't know all the issues of power in California. I know they have issues, right? That's, yep, yep. No. Um, nonetheless, like got rid of it because of the inconvenience he was having of being able to charge his vehicle. And I know that infrastructure in general, not just in the U S but around the world 
it's some places are better than others. Lots of stuff lags behind in particular. So once we have this large influx, what I worry about is, is being able to, you know, drive up to a, I'll just say charge station and do something relatively efficiently because it's really, really hard to plan a relatively dynamic day around a 20 plus minute charging interval And then you get there and someone else is 20 minutes ahead of you or 20 minutes ahead of them. Whereas if I pulled up behind three cars at a gas station, which don't get me wrong, has absolutely happened. But I'm out of there in 15 minutes tops, even if I have two other cars ahead of me. So that's the types of stuff that I'm thinking of. In addition to just relative design principles, I'm also a 10, 15 year long car owner. And it's like battery technology degrades. The more, the faster you charge it, the heat, whatever it is. It also, a lot of people, you want to keep it between a certain interval. So it's like, when I think of my phone, people say all the time, it's like, well, why do you want a phone that could last 24 hours on a battery? It's like, well, if I keep my phone for three years and every year I lose 10% of that battery, it doesn't charge, it doesn't last for 24 hours and I have to carry batteries around. It's like stuff like that. is what modern I batteries are doing a lot better and battery tech is yeah, changing yeah. too. There, there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens there but even you know like the 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 most recent batteries that tesla is producing and, and honestly the revolution that was the lithium iron phosphate and stuff like that the lipo 4 that you see all the time those those hold their charges for instance much much better than uh, older battery technologies and then they just die catastrophically when they've reached you know their lifetime discharge, recharge, right? And then the future of battery tech, I think is going to be pretty bright, but it seems to be very slow coming. I imagine because it's extremely difficult to solve, but we've mentioned some of this stuff. There are solid state battery technologies that are kind of on the, the cusp of becoming more real that are going to dramatically change You know how quickly they can be charged safely. Uh, energy density is is orders of magnitude sometimes better than even today's best technology. And most of this is futurology, but you can imagine if, if a, you know, like a sodium ion battery becomes available tomorrow has 10 X the capacity of a, a lithium ion or lithium iron phosphate equivalent today, you just reduced the weight of your vehicle by a factor of 10 for the exact same range from a charge perspective, that alone probably starts to get really close to what you're talking about needing to see, you know, true adoption at scale. So battery tech is like the answer to EVs being more prevalent or completely dominating the space uh, without without question. I but just imagine, from my imagine a Hummer that, that weighs one tenth of the Hummer EV today and has the exact same battery range. Like it, all bets are off. Well, then I just I just think it's, it's going to flip over. Then it will. Thousand horsepower. When it weighs a thousand pounds, it's insane. <laughs> but but I, my point is, and look, I'm not questioning the value of EVs even remotely. My house is prepared to accept them. We've talked about this yeah. before. I am talking about EVs practically as it stands today like if i'm gonna go purchase a vehicle which guys we all know how much i love f-150s i literally look at them every single day including today i've already done it the like <laughs> you mean like i my house is prepared to accept an ev i but i i cannot bring my because i've even thought about this i've thought about this recently as i've been driving it's like okay probably get this power boost 
thinking, well, what if I just waited a couple of years? Like I ordered one of the lightnings, waited a couple of years and got that. And then I thought to myself, what happens that one time that I'm going down to Austin and I, and I stay at my brother's? What do I do now? Like, what does that look like? Where do I go? How does it impact what I do? And I am a person from a design perspective that designs for minimum experience as where I design the baseline for what I do. I don't even take them as anomalies. Like, I, I'm looking for, if you give me a storage array to design and your peak workload for one point in time during the day that isn't a spike for a backup is at xyz interval my minimum of my new system will be there and i won't buy it any other way so it's like that's the type of stuff that i look for when i'm talking about if i have these other variables that i need to design for in a in an yeah. ev i need them to hit my peak in my current situation as a minimum in order for me to adjust for all those other variables yeah that's that makes sense I and I, I think you're a bit of an outlier in that regard. I think you know that too. And that's why other people are adopting sooner. But but I, I actually totally hear you. I mean, I went because of this this camper adventure that we're embarking on. You know, we, we've talked about it too, but I went through this whole phase of being really excited about electric trucks and then realizing that they're just not there yet. Like even, even if the Tesla Cybertruck was available today and I could walk onto a lot or walk into a storefront and buy one, it quite simply could not do what I needed to do this summer. And so there, there are there are corner cases that we have not even really seriously started to address in that space yet. Um, and and it, I think when we can, though, it, it will be like flipping a light switch. It's Things are going to move really fast when it suddenly makes sense uh, financially and otherwise to, you know, have Russ buy an electric truck. Oh yeah. I, I honestly think that if I were to go today and buy this platinum 22 power boost F-150 that's white and has all these wonderful things about it, <laughs> I should probably go do that today. Let's just assume that I go do that today, like right after this call. I assume it would probably be the last gas vehicle that I would purchase. Yeah. That's my, right that right is my right. assumption about my next purchase is that it is the last vehicle. And I've even considering considering considered getting a slightly cheaper newer vehicle and going in also getting say a tesla model y or something like that so i've considered doing these things and like being able to experiment with it more but it, it's too risky for me with yeah. the variables that are out there today not saying there's anything Makes wrong sense. with them i every one i've ever yeah. been in i've enjoyed and i like them and my Linz and i have thought about them multiple times but once again it's like designing for that minimum is something that i just the engineering part of my brain cannot mm -hmm. get around because even that one time like let me give you another example of where i think about this it really bothers me that homes in texas are not designed to handle the same conditions as homes in minnesota and what i mean yeah. by that is that we know that homes in minnesota need to handle extreme cold whereas homes in texas need to handle extreme heat in my mind i recognize the limitations of this we should be designing homes to handle all of the conditions that we know how to design for. And so That's not saying that it's practical, but it's called use case and profit margin. Right. If they do that, uh, then things cost more. Okay. Well, most <laughs> I do. don't care about um, all that. I, 
I stepped away for five minutes and I I apologize. I missed this one piece, but I I have to ask. So let's, you mentioned platinum. I'm going to try to make some sort of uh, connection back to Daniel real quick, but Oculus is coming out with a climbing movie, the soloist VR. I don't know. Did y'all see, um, what was that movie? Free solo back in like 2018 or something. Alex Honnold. Have you watched that? The, the professional rock climber. Yes. No, you'll have any idea what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, so apparently they're doing a VR version of that. It's coming out. There's a two-part documentary. It's going to be on uh, on the Oculus. Seems absolutely wild because even if you just watch this on a on a static screen that's you know 15 feet away from you, it gives you sweaty palms. Okay. I the first time I watched this, I was on an airplane and my hands. I'm just sweating like crazy as I'm watching this thing. It's insane. But so the question here is what. With this immersive VR experience version of it, I can imagine is going to be kind of intense. When do we get, so same sort of question, kind of piggybacking off the ice thing. When do we get to the point where this 360 VR footage, what we're putting on our face gives us some sort of like retina level resolution, if that's a term, um, without any distortion, perfect stereoscopic overlap, all this kind of stuff. When do we see that? Is that also like a 2050? Where are we at on this? Do uh, yeah, I, that that's one. So we we actually talk about that quite often at at, at where we work because you know we're trying to see you know what's the best way we can have an engaging environment uh, without the cost of having to do three three D rendering objects uh, in there. Uh, for us, says not in our lifetime. Not in our uh, lifetime. Okay. <laughs> dude, we've come a long way. Like, think about the video no. games we played when we were little. Yeah. And then I was at the arcade the other day and I'm playing Cruising USA with my wife. And I was like, man, I remember this like Hummer and these cars being a lot more detailed than they are. <laughs> They're very pixelated here. I uh, love that. We've come a long way. Old, old game. Yeah. Well, it, it, so here's the it's thing. Probably 20, 20, 25 years in, in my guess. 20 here's why years. Here's screens. Wow. That, okay. Here's why I think 25 years is, is difficult. So if you, if you look at, past history like if you look there's a movie called final fantasy it's not over like the game Do you final limit fantasy. yourself by what's happened in the past for us i thought i knew yes. you a little better than that i do okay. um it's where i it's what i base where we're going <laughs> from because uh it tends to be my best directional piece of of data the <laughs> final fantasy which released in like i don't know 2000 2001 this is a guess I, I really don't know when it released it was an animated movie and I remember that that movie at the time was oh, sort of yeah. billed as this, like, you can't tell the difference between right. this. Right, because they had hair. Like, <laughs> yeah, the hair, exactly. I remember they focused so much on the the texture and the, uh, like, the environmental um, effects on the hair of those characters. And, and yep. I think I know where you're going with this, but I, I they, very distinctly had... remember this, too. They had like actors that did everything, you know, for them. So it was very natural movements, all this stuff. And it, it was an interesting movie. And at the time it was convincing, but I remember even telling my dad, I was like, I mean, I was like, like I can very clearly see that this is, you know, animated. And now I've seen it relatively recently, like in the last five years, just kind of looked at it again. And it's unbelievably apparent to everyone in the room that this is not real. And I still think that we're at a point today where you can get really, really close to photorealistic, but you get to a point to where you you still see digitization. And I think we're really, really far away from doing that on a computer monitor. 
much less doing it inside of a headset that most people are going to consume, which I believe will be that's fully self-contained. So that's why I believe. I, I sure hope so. Makes sense. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think I'm more optimistic than that. I think it will happen in our lifetime. I think that stuff is going to continue to sort of hockey stick and, and go really far, really fast. I, to the realism piece of it though, I, I actually wonder um, if, if the difficulty is not so much the digitization, but it, it will look too real. Like we will be able to sense that there's just something wrong with it. Um, and I feel, I feel like we've seen some, I had a TV that, that did that once. It looked oh, I know. too it, real. Yeah. It, it, I, there are a lot of TVs, especially like the 120 Hertz range ones that they put some logic into smoothing motion. And yeah. it turns out that we do not like those kinds of motions to be smooth. <laughs> it was like visually, I couldn't, TV, I couldn't stand yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was in my house, but it wasn't my TV. It was a business yep, owner. That's funny. We used it for I know what you're talking about. stuff. Yeah. Too um, funny. Okay. Well, well we, we got to shut this down. Dude. But I, Episode I had, 250. Uh, I, I had one one last question. Um, just yeah. give me give me your answer on this. We'll, we'll go around there. Okay. <laughs> so we're talking about um, this level of uh, awesomeness within a screen or whatever. What is What is the percentage chance that you give that we're already some being with a headset on living in a simulation zero already just high quality zero zero absolutely <laughs> okay. i am with right, Russ 100 percent on that that is ridiculous zero i would have already i would have already seen it i'm convinced as you can't tell from my previous answer <laughs> russ right, would be I'm aware done. if this were the matrix is what he's saying he would already have taken the pill and on that note that's the end of our 250th episode daniel Paul, thank you for joining us. Everybody who's listening, thank you for joining us. Thanks for sharing with your friends, your family, subscribing, having a good time with us. That's a wrap, guys. Tech Breakfast, Tech for Breakfast. What are we now? The Tech Tech Breakfast Podcast? Tech Breakfast it's Podcast. Over. It's over. It's over. I got <laughs> we'll get there. It right. We got there. We got there. Anyways, we'll talk to you soon, guys. Cheers. Later. <laughs>